Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of The Grave, the podcast where I talk to friends, family, and even strangers about their paranormal experiences. Today I'm talking to Pastor Jeff Little. Jeff is the father of a high school friend of mine who, after I launched this podcast, reached out saying that his dad had had some experience with exorcisms and that he may have a story or two to share with me. Jeff is a pastor at All Nations Church in New Haven. He did some traveling as a missionary uh, before settling down in New Haven. And I thought it was very important to have him on to yet again get another perspective on the paranormal from a truly religious standpoint. Jeff and I discuss how he came to become a pastor, his experiences with exorcism, and of course we discuss religion and tackle topics like heaven and hell, angels and demons, as well as several other subjects. I think what Jeff has to say is very insightful, illuminating, and whether you are a believer or not, as with all of my guests, I do believe that there is a lot to be learned from our discussion. So without further ado, I give you Pastor Jeff Little. Hi. How are you? I'm fine, Nick. Yeah, no, thank you so much for doing this. Um, I really appreciate it. I guess video doesn't really matter, that's right. Nope, not at all. You could be sitting in a dark room for all I care. <laughs> I really just, like I said before, I want your perspective, uh, not only religion, but sure. I call it the paranormal, you can call it the supernatural. Um, you know, I just kind of want to dig deeper into kind of your philosophy, your mindset on it, and um, and just kind of where it kind of fits into religion, I guess, as a whole. Um, and I know you had met, you had said that you wanted to kind of know why I even, you know, started doing this in the first place. Um, and that's really just because I, I've had a couple experiences, uh, which I believe to be ghosts. Um, but throughout my life, I've often heard, you know, people tell me they've seen something or felt something. And, um, some stories people told me were like really, really crazy, <laughs> like almost unbelievable. And, um, but I feel like most of those times people were like, you know, you're the first person I've told about this. And so for me, it was one of those things where if I could get people to kind of just discuss their experiences or their points of view on this subject, um, I feel like it's something that is not often spoken of. So I kind of just wanted to kind of bring a, a broader, uh, broader view to it for people who wouldn't normally care to listen about this stuff. Sure. That's, so That's great. So again, thank you so much for doing this. Um, and to start, uh, you are a pastor. What uh, denomination are you a pastor of? I'm a pastor of an, an Anglican church. Anglican is, uh, it means it comes out of the Church of England tradition. Practically, what that means is we're, we're a church with with bishops, you know, Presbyterian churches are governed by, by elders or presbyters. Congregational churches are governed by the congregation itself. Nobody outside the congregation has any authority over the congregation. In, in, the, in the Anglican church is, has an Episcopal government, meaning it's governed by bishops. The Roman Catholic church is also an Episcopal church because it, it has bishops. The only difference between them and us is their hierarchy goes up further so that there's one, one man who is uh, the, 
the authority over the whole church, and that's the Pope. We don't have we don't have a Pope. Right. So I'm the pastor of All Nations Anglican Church, uh, which is a part of the Anglican diocese or region of churches in New England, and that region is part of a, a larger nationwide church called the Anglican Church in North America, which is part of a worldwide church called the Anglican Communion. So that's maybe more than you wanted to know, but uh, that's, <laughs> many layers. That's who I, that's who I am. <laughs> nice. No, that's great. And were you like, uh, as a kid, were you involved in the church or was it something that you kind of took on as you got older or kind of what's the story story there? Yeah, thanks. Um, the, uh, the Anglican church in, in the United States ha- has a name that's different called the Episcopal church. Mm. And, um, the, the Episcopal Church, the reason it's named Episcopal Church and not Anglican is because after the Revolutionary War, you didn't want to have England in your church name. So <laughs> right. it became the Episcopal Church. So I grew up in the Episcopal Church um, in, in a town south of Boston and uh, kind of had a sense of the holy. You know, I loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then in my early uh, just around when I was 20 years old, I had a rather dramatic conversion experience in which I, I gave my life, I dedicated my life to Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And uh, in a very supernatural or spiritual way, I believe very definitely Jesus Christ uh, called me to himself and, uh, and came into my life. Would you care to elaborate a little further on kind of what that uh, you know, big moment was? Well, as I say, I grew up in the Episcopal Church and had, and sort of had a sense of, sense of the holy, you know, sense of, sense of God. I love the church, even from an earlier age, um, you know, leading youth groups and stuff like that. Mm. But I uh, fell away from it when I went to college. I went to college in Maine and sort of like, like many of us do when we go to college, we sort of <laughs> fall away from all kinds of things like that. Yeah. And, um, but it never left me. And I was sort of searching for purpose in life. Went to England to study for a year abroad. Okay. I met a, met, a, met a young man there my age. His name was Doug. And uh, Doug, I watched, I watched Doug change in the time we were there. He sort of was a wild kid like me, you know, looking, going to pubs and following girls. And all okay. of a sudden that all stopped for him. And uh, he was, in many ways, uh, more joyful than he was before, but he, his lifestyle started to change. And so I finally asked him, what the heck is going on with you? And he said, well, Jeff, I prayed to receive Jesus Christ in my life, and I think you should too. That's what he said. And I'll <laughs> never forget that. That's All right. I, um, I had a cross around my neck, you know, because I was a Christian, I so I believed, and mm-hmm. uh, got very angry with him when he when he said that, and uh, sort of alienated myself from him for a while. But then about two months later, I was hitchhiking around uh, southern England and into Wales, and I got to a a place on the coast of Wales when where I I don't know, I I guess I felt homesick. And I was still kind of wondering about purpose in my life. Yeah. 
And I, I heard a voice that I'm not sure it was audible outside and anybody else could have heard it, but I heard it in my heart. Um, a voice saying, Jeff, follow me. I want you and I love you. And I knew, I knew, I knew, I knew it was Jesus Christ talking to me because uh, Doug Bowles had told me that's who it was talking to him. <laughs> and Let so, you know. this, I mean, it only happened a couple months afterwards. So I was sort of primed uh, for this experience. And so I did. I prayed to receive Jesus Christ into my life. And uh, I'm. I knew my purpose right away. I had taken kind of a strange interest in Latin American studies and mm -hmm. Spanish, and I didn't know why in college, didn't grow up with any of that. And, but I, I, I took an interest in college even before I went to England. Mm -hmm. And I knew right from that point that I was meant to uh, be a missionary in Latin America and work among Spanish, Spanish language peoples. Mm -hmm. And, um, that's what I did. I finished, I finished college and went to missionary training school right away. Ended up going to Latin America. Uh, we were there for three years. I learned Spanish and we came back from there. And I, then I, at that point, I pursued ordination in the, in the Episcopal Church, becoming a pastor. Yep. Went back to school and uh, seminary in, in uh, Pennsylvania in 1989. And um, I was ordained afterwards and moved to New Haven, Connecticut, uh, where I have been ever since for 30 years now, working in, a, working in an inner city ministry, still with Spanish language people. Oh, wow. And their families uh, to this day. That's that's what I do. And all nations church is a, a bilingual, bicultural church to to this day. And so oh. that's what I do. That's great. That's great. That's cool. It kind of all came full circle for you, or like uh, you kind of pieced all the pieces together in that that one instance where it's like, yeah, the G the word from Jesus. You had your Spanish studies going on. You're like I'm doing it, <laughs> taking this and that's right. I mean, I I mean, I would say that that. Jesus, that his Holy Spirit, we, we talk about the, 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 the Christian, Christian tradition, we talk about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yep. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus who lives inside all of, the, all of us who believe in Jesus Christ. And his Holy Spirit was kind of all along moving me and preparing me for this thing. So it's not like fate has brought me full circle. It's, it's uh, God has brought me in that direction. Sure. Yeah. Well, I guess it's kind of so I think the biggest question I have for anyone who kind of commits themselves that fully to the church is, was there ever a point where, I mean, uh, I guess after uh, you realized what you wanted to do, that kind of along the way, do you have any doubts or any concerns about kind of committing your life to God? Well, of course. Uh, I mean, you, you, you go through stages uh, and things happen in life when you wonder, as my daughter Jessica often says, Dad, it was really just indigestion and bad lasagna. It really wasn't <laughs> yeah. a conversion experience. <laughs> right. um, so, but, and you go through experiences where, and periods of time, especially through difficulties, when you wonder, 
is this really, is this really real? Mm. And um, uh, for me, that never ended in my sort of going off the path. I never left the ministry. Um, but I know many, many others who have, uh, their doubts have led them to um, leave ministry altogether, leave the church, leave their faith altogether. Right. It does, it does happen. Um, my doubts were not so grave uh, mm. as to do that, but doubts, nevertheless, I mean, even now, you know, to, right. still to this day, yeah. you, str- you struggle, you struggle with doubt. Right. So, so you had that experience and then you said you went down to South America. Um, and this is where your son, Ben, briefed me that you had had experience uh, during an exorcism. Mm-hmm. Um, can you go into detail for me as much as you can about kind of beginning to end kind of how you were alerted to the situation, kind of what, you know, made you believe it was a, you know, true, truly possessed person, kind of what you did to, to, uh, you know, remedy the situation. Can you kind of walk me through all that? I'm, I'm happy to do that. Um, that was like 35 years ago. And I have had some, I've had some more recent experiences than that. I'll take uh, all of them. <laughs> uh, which, which I, I can talk about. Yeah. Um, that'd be great. Uh, I mean, that particular, in that particular one, I was a very young man. I was about 25 years old and uh, a man, his name was Alejandro. He lived, he lived very near where the church is and, uh, his family called my senior pastor. I was I was like a very junior <laughs> missionary, <laughs> right. and he called the senior pastor to go down and to their home, which was just a walk down the street, really. Mm. And um, and the senior pastor asked me to go with him. We were there for many hours, and uh, became clear clear that Alejandro was more than just troubled. In fact, very quickly, he really wasn't able even to converse uh, with us. Mm-hmm. He, um, he l- looked like he was falling asleep occasionally as we were talking to him. Uh-huh. Um, occasionally, he would kind of like wake up and talk lucidly, but then he would fall into uh, making groanings and noises. Um, that were were strange. He even at some points spoken spoken in a voice that was not his, mm. and um, and in a language at times that was not understandable. Wow. Um. So it became very clear to to my senior pastor that this was a situation of of demon possession. Or at least that's what he thought, and we should pray in that way. And so we began praying ourselves and, and anointing Alejandro with oil on his forehead, mm-hmm. and in the name of Jesus, uh, praying for the praying for the demon to name himself and uh, come out. And there was a lot of coughing, which I have experienced very similar coughing mm-hmm. uh, in other exorcisms I've, I've 
been witness to or I've been involved in. There were some moments when he was thrashing around. There were times when he was speaking to my senior pastor saying, you can't cast me out. I'm not leaving. Mm. Um, and um, eventually, after many hours, um, we believe that the demon was was cast out in the name of Jesus Christ. Alejandro kind of crumbled to the floor. Uh, he needed a few days rest. Uh, but after that, he was fine. And in our further relationships with him, uh, it, it didn't seem he was troubled anymore by, by the demon. So wow. that's as much as I can remember yeah, I, no, I, I don't have a recollection, recollection about the details beyond that. There was never any violence. Okay. And, and I've, I've, I've never experienced the kind of violence you see in the movies. I'd assume so. <laughs> but, but there was, there was thrashing around, but then there were also times of a lot of long periods of, of great calm. Mm. And, uh, but it was a long, exhausting process. Do you ever get concerned doing one that, you know, you're, I know, uh, you know, you protected by the Holy Spirit, but do you ever get concerned that you're putting yourself at risk at all? I'd be a liar if I said, no, there was no concern. Um, however, um, not in that particular case in Latin America, but in other cases where I've sort of known ahead of time what I might be going into. There's prayer and sometimes fasting and preparation and prayer and prayer afterwards for God's um, sort of unhooking, unhooking any spiritual uh, attachments that might have come my way or in the way of any deliverance ministry person during the, the encounter. You, you pray, you prepare as much as you can, and, and then your, your faith is, is in the Lord and his strength. Because mm. it's his work, really. It's not, it's, it's not so, the, the minister is just an instrument in God's hands to, to, to do the work assigned to him or her at that time. In all, in all kinds of ministry, there is, you know, <laughs> The, the, the danger that it's going to it's going to come back and bite you it's going to come and hurt you right and there is a kind of a trepidation but you you go forward and um you also don't do it alone this is this right is, this is something deliverance ministry is not something you do one-on-one -on -one. it's yeah uh, usually at least with two and and then others as as possible others who are praying in the background Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I would not want to do that alone. <laughs> um, so no, let's, no. Um, if we can, I'd love to hear, you know, <clears throat> you said you had some more recent stories like that. Can you, I guess, as best as you can recall, do maybe like two more, like of your kind of the more notable ones that are kind of clear in your mind? Well, one other that, that I was involved with in more the lead ministry position, I was actually by myself because I was not, not expecting this to happen. Um, 
breaking the cardinal rule. <laughs> I, went, I, I went to visit a man uh, less, than a, less than a year ago. Uh, I'll, call him, I'll, I'll call him Ralph. That's not his real name, but I'll, I'll call him that. And uh, he had asked me to come. He had found out about me. I came and uh, met his wife and we were there and he was very troubled um, in a kind of a similar way to Alejandro. He was at one, at one time very lucid and another time practically falling asleep. But mm. a lot, a lot of, a lot of talking that made no sense. Um, it wasn't languages at the beginning. It was just English that didn't make any sense. And um, then on medication, he had had some pain related to uh, work injuries. And so he had, had been on medication and seen psychiatrist. And uh, he himself would say that he, he thinks he's possessed. He, oh. thinks, he's, he thinks he's got, he's got a, an evil spirit within him. Him saying that, Plus, what I was looking at raised in my mind the possibility that there might be demonic forces going on here and deliverance ministry might be necessary. So I began praying that way. I brought some oil with me and began praying, not really thinking I would stay very long or that, that, that this thing would go very far because I was by myself and didn't like the fact that I was by myself. He started coughing and retching very violently in a very, and again, in a very similar manner to what I remember about Alejandro. And so I started praying, sometimes in silence for long periods. His wife was with me and she was desperate and praying. And so I just asked her to just, just stay, stay back and, and, and pray. I began speaking to a demon as if there was a demon there mm. and asking him to name himself in Jesus name. And then there were moments when, when uh, Ralph looked up at me and uh, said, you can't do this. You can't cast me out. You can't do this in a voice that was very different from what I heard Ralph using on his own before. Yeah, more coughing, more retching, and then sort of periods of sort of falling asleep again. And I'm staying there. I'm hanging in now, and I'm praying. And uh, more, finally, more, more coughing again. And then finally, uh, after much time in prayer, silence. He was very tired, but he was lucid. And it looked like that was the end of this session, at least. Mm. And so I prayed a blessing on him and on the house, asking the Lord to cast out any remnants of demonic activity in the house mm -hmm. itself, protection over the inhabitants of the house, and um, followed up with Ralph a few few days later, provided with him with some prayer material and some some elementary Bible teaching 
And Ralph is in our church now. He comes every Sunday. Uh, Good. His wife sometimes, but, but he himself comes and he's a lovely guy. He's a strange guy. <laughs> and he's still on meds. He's still got some physical and mental uh, issues. But there's been no further evidence of any demonic activity. And in fact, he's 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 very pleasant and sociable. Right. Okay. Good. I mean, it's a successful su- successful outcome. <laughs> all in all. Prayers continue. So, how can you tell if a person is possessed versus them having some sort of mental illness? That's a really good question, and I hesitate to say because sometimes you can't tell the difference, at least not right away. Generally speaking, someone who needs deliverance ministry is manifesting in such a way that would not be normal to their own behavior or language. Someone with mental illness is. Mm. And sometimes I have to say that when I'm meeting somebody and engaged in deliverance ministry, I might also recommend therapy as well. Cover your bases. Gotcha. And so during an exorcism, you're casting out a demon. You had mentioned a, uh, I believe, I forget your exact phrasing, but it was something along the lines of like aiding the angels or you're kind of either getting help from the angels or helping the angels kind of rid you know, someone of, of a demonic force. Um, could you talk a little bit about uh, just kind of angels and demons in general and maybe how, I guess, how they influence us here on earth? I feel like a lot of times, you know, you hear a lot about demonic because you hear a lot about possession, but you don't get so much talk about angels and how they may intervene at all. And I've actually had a couple people whom I've talked to say that when they were kids, they, you know, saw an angel or they saw, you know, some sort of angelic type figure. That would be, that'd be great if you could kind of give me some insight as just to kind of their, their roles sure. as uh, for us here on earth. Big topic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll just give a, a, a little overview. I yeah. guess. A little synopsis. Um, Christians believe in a all-powerful, omnipotent God who has, for his glory, created the heavens and the earth. And the heavens and the earth, including the spiritual world, the world of angels and that some angels fell. And uh, that Lucifer who's called Morning Star in, in, in the book of Ezekiel, um, was, was cast out uh, by, by God mm. and became the Lord of, of Earth when he tempted Adam and Eve, who were, who were created by God to be the rulers of the world. From that point forward, mankind falls under, under the spiritual realm of satan of of the devil and the devil has his ministering angels but god also has his ministering angels and the scriptures are quite clear that there are ministering angels one passage in 
Hebrews uh, one fourteen. I pulled, I did pull up a couple of passages here. That's great. It says, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Ministering spirits refers to angels. Jesus himself was helped by angels after the period of temptation. The angel Gabriel was sent to, to speak God's word to Mary and to Joseph before the birth of, of Jesus. So there are good spirits in the world, angels, and there are the demons. The, the ministering spirits with allegiance to Lucifer and Satan uh, standing against in opposition to what God is doing in the world because, you know, Lucifer, Satan takes over the world as his kingdom and God wants it back. There is a war. There is a war going on. The, and the war is not just human beings fighting each other. There's spiritual things going on as well. Ephesians chapter 6 says, you don't mind me reading some. Go right ahead. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Listen to the language here. This is supernatural, spiritual language, right? Yeah. For we, Paul, Paul, the apostle Paul writes, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. My whole being, my whole orientation comes out of the scripture, which says, yeah, that stuff, that, that stuff is there, that, it, that exists. The question is, where is it all going? And most importantly, who has the authority? It's not that it's not that evil forces exist and good forces exist. Who has the authority over all of that? Yeah, no, that's I mean, that's it actually brings up a very I had always kind of thought that hell could potentially just be a variation of Earth. And from what you just said, it very much sounds like Earth is what Satan reigns over. And therefore, would you I guess can you kind of clarify for me, because. To me, it kind of sounds like hell is is Earth right now. Well, the first the first thing I would say is we need to be very humble and very hesitant when we start talking about heaven and hell. What we know about it comes to us in language that is mysterious. The word I learned in seminary was apocalyptic in language that's hugely destructive and and cosmic there is a lot of mystery here and and nobody not me nor anybody else can speak very definitively about the spiritual realm what we do know is that jesus himself talked about uh, a gehenna a hell a hades where there there is uh, weeping and gnashing of teeth and decay and judgment and people can go there right. <laughs> in the book of revelation you get to the end of it there is the language of 
Jesus coming again, gathering to himself the, the elect, those who have been chosen by him. There is judgment. Those who those whose name is written in the book of life, I'm using the language of Revelation itself, those whose names are written in the book of life, enjoy life eternal with him and judgment of the devil. And those who are unbelievers using the language of Revelation in the lake of fire. What that all means, <laughs> I was say, that, Lord. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a mystery as to what, what that all means. Does that mean annihilation? Does that mean life eternal in pain and torment? There's a lot of debate about that um, between Christian teachers, commentators, the, theologians. Gotcha. Um, yeah, heaven, heaven is, it's really not about people dying and going up and, and being in heaven. It's really more heaven coming down and enveloping earth. So the temple of heaven meets the temple of earth and it's purified. Sin is gone. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, a lot to unpack. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> as, as far as uh, non-believers go, um, when you come across someone who's like, God's stupid, I don't believe in it, you know, why we have all this, these senseless wars and, you know, children getting sick and all this stuff. What do you say to people who don't believe in God? Hmm. That's a good question. The first thing I would say is we need to be very humble. The church has made tons of mistakes uh, throughout the years. And out of sinful desire, led the people of God into false teaching and violence and slavery and wars that should not have ever taken place. Uh, there has been all of that. Having said that, I guess uh, my the, the, the message I would have for those who say they have no faith and don't believe in anything, my the thing I, the questions I would ask around that would be, do you really not believe in anything? Because I would say that if you say hey, you don't believe in anything, that's as much of a step of faith as saying, I do believe in something. I mean, we are all going to die. And we don't know what's, what's beyond there. My faith, the revelation of God in the scriptures and Jesus Christ preeminently is to be believed. And he is to be followed, and I'm going to trust that word. To those who, who say that's all a bunch of baloney, uh, that, that's, that, that there, is no, there is no God, there is no Jesus, there is no faith, that's a big step of faith for you to believe that. And uh, it's not a step of faith I would make. In many ways, it's a more courageous step of faith than mine. You are putting your trust in yourself and your own thoughts. And who's revealing this to you that there's nothing really out there? Yeah, it's a, it's a good rebuttal, actually. Um, I, I also agree with that. It's like, you, you know, you say you don't believe in anything, but you do believe in not believing. 
you don't you know where you're getting that from mm-hmm. so that's uh i mm-hmm. i hear i hear you on that for sure in 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 closing what message would you like to give the listeners of this podcast whether it be about religion and god about the supernatural the paranormal um what would you like your parting words to be okay well, let me go back to who has the authority, who's in control. And Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, died on the cross, and then he rose again from the dead, so the scriptures tell us. And he appeared, not as a ghost, in bodily form to his disciples and said these words, Matthew 28, 16 All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. All authority on heaven and earth belongs to Jesus. The question I want to know is, is there a good guy in charge? There is a good guy in charge. He's nothing less than God himself. That's good news. That really is good news. It means that people like me can can go into a situation where deliverance ministry might be necessary. And I have the King of Kings and Lord of Lords on my side. And while it may be difficult and while there may be conflict in Jesus name, good will prevail. That's what I want to say about the authority question. The second thing I want to say is, Whether you believe or not, clearly there is something wrong here. There's pollution, there is war, there is violence, there is addiction. There are are problems beyond measure. The Bible calls that sin. How are we going to get out of that? That sin is not only out there, but if we're honest, it's right here. Who is going to rescue me from this body of death? And that body of sin that's out there, who's going to rescue me from that? Jesus Christ had to be both God and man. Otherwise, if he died on the cross, it doesn't count for anything. But if he was God and man dying on the cross for our sins, then that sin and that corruption, all of that, the power of all that has been canceled. Not eliminated yet, but canceled. If it's true that that tomb was empty and Jesus rose from the dead, then he's God. There's I no agree. other explanation <laughs> for it. And yeah. if he's God, if he's God, then we need to, to, to give ourselves to him with our whole hearts. And when he says, like he said to me on that beach in Wales, come and follow me, we need to follow So that was Jeff's time here on the grave. Not to be confused with my atheist friend, Jeff. From the episode titles, they do spell their names differently and obviously have completely different viewpoints on religion and the supernatural in general. And despite religion being a very focal point in this episode, I do hope that you were able to walk away with at least a better understanding of the worldview that Jeff and so many others hold. As always, 
I'm your host, Josh King, and I hope to have you all back for some more scary stories. <laughs>